definitely come to the pie and chili cook-off. You'll get to see the streak continue. My losing streak. I've yet to win a contest at this church. From bingo to anything, which is great because you know it's not rigged, but um, it's part of one of my other subtle things. I want to teach people how to lose graciously. So far, I haven't figured it out because I whine about it all the time. Hey, we are uh, continuing our series and wrapping up our series next week. First Samuel, we're chapter 30 today. There's only one left. Saul's been chasing David uh, for years now and many, many chapters. And uh, we've seen a lot of things that David has had the opportunity to handle sometimes graciously, sometimes not so much. And uh, last week was an interesting story. And before we pray and start, I just want to build this a little bit. Um, David has run off to the land of Philistines. He's made a deal, basically almost a covenant with the king of the enemies. He's now part of their army. And they're about to go to war with Judah, with the Hebrews. And he makes a deal to say he's going to be the, the king's personal guard, him and his 600 men. And he's finally maybe making some progress and figured out a way to sustain himself outside of uh, Israel and Hebrew and the promise and his anointing, which he's probably in the wrong place. But it's kind of starting to work. And then all of a sudden, the commanders of the Philistine armies decide they don't like him. And why are we going to let this Hebrew come in and fight against the Hebrews with us? He'll probably turn on us. No way. He can't come. The king rescinds his deal and tells David, uh, you take your guys and in the morning, get up early and go home. Go back. Back to tending the fields and doing the stuff. And we talked last week about how that can just feel so wrong when there's nothing you've done wrong, but you get sidelined. Uh, and it's a great concept. This week, we're going to find out why he got sidelined. Because there's something bigger going on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for worship. For energy, emotion, thought. For the experience of life. Pray, Lord, that we would remember this morning that you are the creator, giver, and sustainer of life and all the things that we know. And if we were to have a first-time experience, it would be because of you. And if we were to have a 100-year anniversary like our local high school, we know it's because of you. Anything in between and beyond. May that be clear from your word this morning, from this story. We thank you for our opportunity to look at it, study it. Pray you would give us each something individual that we can take home for ourselves and then something collective that's true for all of us. But we ask your blessing of this time. May it honor you and be guided by your spirit. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 30, you can look up, it's up on the screen or look down and read along with your Bible. Uh, now David when his, uh, and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. They're headed back to where the king has sent them home and they had made a deal where Ziklag was going to be David and his army's area. And so they made it back. The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. So while they're all out going off to war and David was marching with them, what happened? <laughs> Someone broke into the house. You're, you've been uh, robbed. You had somebody break in or break into your car or steal your catalytic converter from right in front of your house in the middle of the night. That happened. Um, you, you feel... Not good. <laughs> you feel bad. Violated. There's a good. Abused. Uh, you want revenge. The whole thing. Watch this because this is even worse. Uh, they had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire. They'd taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. You get back 
and your whole place is burnt to the ground and all your family, everyone's family, everybody's just gone. You have nothing. Um, how many, not which emotion did you feel, how many different emotions would you be feeling at that time, right? Uh, I know what I would be thinking. Find a trail, let's figure out, let's go get them back right now, right? Uh, they killed no one, though. That's, that's kind of interesting. It seems like every story we've had in Samuel so far, when they fight, what do they do? Kill everyone, right? In fact, Saul got in trouble because he didn't kill everyone one time. That's how he lost the kingship, and it got passed to David. Here, all of a sudden, we've got these Amalekites who apparently don't know the laws of war. Or is there something greater going on? We're Christians. We always know there's something greater going on. Amen? So, uh, they killed no one. And then when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their families, wives, sons, daughters, taken captive. And then David and the people were with him were, raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. That's a really long sentence to convey how they're feeling. Words don't suffice, right? Verse 5, David's two wives have also been taken, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. You know when Scripture tries to describe something and they do the strongest? If something like this happened to you, you wouldn't be calling your friends and, hey, I'm greatly distressed. <laughs> you would say something different. However strong and strongest you could think to say that, that's what's going on here. For the people spoke of stoning him. Hey, how'd this happen? They were all bitter in soul. Each of his own loss, right? The sons and daughters. And what, what are they upset about? How did this happen? Oh yeah, that's right. We left Ziklag. And we left being able to protect our family and provide do all the things that you normally and where'd we go oh, yeah we went off to war with who the hebrews wait i thought we were hebrew whose idea was this oh yeah it was him right i mean you can imagine this easily because it's what we do in our culture every single day we point the finger and we blame people and they're all upset and david's freaked out now because he thinks he's gonna die but Watch this. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. That's the first response we get from him? I'm afraid that when everything hits the fan and falls apart and starts to crumble around me, I'm afraid of my default behaviors. What's a default behavior? Right? You take a hammer and you're working and bam, you hit your nail. Your, uh, your nail of your thumb with the hammer, not the nail of the nail. And what's your default behavior at that point? We're in church, you can't say it, right? But it's loud. And what are some of the peripheral default behaviors? <gasps> right? <laughs> what else? You run to the, and you get a bag and you fill it with ice. You're like, right? You got all these default behaviors. What are our default behaviors when it comes to God? Because I'm a little impressed. This guy, he's not in his country. He's not with his people. He's following the wrong king, and it all starts to fall apart. I wonder if it's somewhere in there he thinks to himself, Wait, I was supposed to be the Lord's anointed. I'm supposed to be over there and fighting with them against the people I was going to fight with, and now I'm back, and now my fam. Maybe I'm on the wrong track. Maybe I moved to the wrong town and had the wrong idea. Maybe I need to rethink this. In fact, I think the first thing I'll do is Lord. Which should be our default behavior. Now, normally, 
we're going to have a moment here as a church. Normally, I would say this, and then I would say, we're at church, and I ask the question, right? And then if there's still a delay or a doubt, I would kind of joke, you know, what would Heitzman say, or do I have to get Heitzman on the phone? Good news, folks. We are not Heitzman free today. So, if all would... Just take a moment. We're going to have a little experience. Ooh, look at me. I'm off screen. People are freaking out. What happened? Hi. Sorry. Don't put a mirror in front of me. Um, what should be our default behavior? Jesus. There we go. Mark Heitzman. He'll be signing signatures later. Visiting in town for the Amador Valley 100-year anniversary or something which he was here for, uh, at the beginning. It was just, <laughs> you could tell by the hair. Yeah. So how do we make God our default behavior? When it gets worst, worst of the worst. Anybody, anybody had kind of those? And then, and, and then like if we get technical, well, it's not really the worst of the worst, but it feels wicked, horrible, terrible beyond belief right now. You ever, ever had those kind of feelings? No, I'm the only one? You guys all have blessed, charmed lives, right? No kids ever get sick. Nobody gets in a car accident or loses a job or any of that kind of stuff. No? Get scary uh, diagnosis from the doctor or whatever. You know, me and you. Okay, the rest of you can leave. <laughs> Iris and I, we're going to finish this. David said to Abiathar the priest, who's Abiathar? He's the priest. Who's he represent? Heitzman? There we go. Uh, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. That means we're going to go, we're going to access God. We're going to inquire of the Lord. One of Doc Tompkins' favorite phrases from this book. He says, um, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Folks, I was studying this passage this week. I read that, I had to put the Bible down. Like, wait a minute, what? Should I pursue? No, that's not the question I'm asking God if I'm David in this scenario and somebody came and burned my house and took Julie. <laughs> I'm like, where's a gun? Which car's fastest or will handle battle the best? I think I'm doing the Suburban, my urban assault vehicle, right? My question for God at that moment is, which direction should I start in how fast can I catch them? And will you make sure that I get every single one of them? That's not what he asked. He said, is it worth me going? Does David know the women or children are alive still? No, we know that because the narrator was gracious enough to calm our nerves at the beginning of the story. He says, shall I? Should I? Is it worth my time? Do you want me, God, to go do this? What a great question. How about if that was our default behavior, even when things are good? Should I stay at this job? Should we have another kid? God, do you want us to move? What about this relationship? How about outside of the external back to the internal god what about these emotions i'm having what about these things that go through my head what about some of these behaviors that i do some of the things that come out of my mouth what if what if jesus really was our default and it was more than just a fun answer at church you know, there's a reason it became a fun answer at church? Did you get this? Because it is the right answer at church all the time, and it's normal. It, but we have to be reminded regularly. Why? Because a little bit later, when I hit my thumb with a hammer, <laughs> I got about six default behaviors I'll go through probably before I remember. Oh, yeah. How am I referencing God? I think this is one of the most brilliant and difficult 
concepts of this whole book. First Samuel, not the Bible itself. Okay, I got a different answer for that. But he says, shall I go after it? Shall I overtake them? He answered him. Whoa. He answered him. Pursue, pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely... What's that last word? <clears throat> now does he know that the families are alive. What's the most significant part of this little exchange? He answered him. I, I stopped at the first question, shall I pursue, shall I overtake them? And I'm spinning on that. You know, it's bigger and heavier as when you reference to the Lord, when you inquire of the Lord. Who have you just engaged? <laughs> way, the boss, someone way bigger than your question. You know, this, this, I'm, I enjoy the nerdy side of Christianity little bit i want to introduce you into my world for a moment I? I won't keep you long I'll let you go back but i mess with little ideas theologically to try and understand how my god works i realized something this week in this what does david ask when you ask what are you asking anytime you are asking you are Posing a starts with Q. You're asking a question. God never does. It's a weird deal. You know this? You worship a God who has no questions. What? Folks, that should start to sink in. But probably you'll have to wrestle that the rest of your life. Because you've never run into an entity that was void of mystery, void of questions, had s total certainty, stability in everything. When we ask God a question, I like to think of him as a little bit snarky and sense of humor. I think he says sometimes, wow, they're asking questions. What is this questioning? I've never, I've never done that. Why did they do that? Maybe I'll help them with the questions so that they can be more like me. Ooh. I love the idea that God has no questions. There's no doubts. There's no mystery only answers all the time. And what does he do when he answers the question? He says, ah, oh, David, we're going to have some fun. Let's go. And you're going to win. And by the way, you're going to get them back. There's only kind of a minor question hanging in the wind now. How many? Surely you shall rescue but how many are we rescuing? Anybody curious? All right, you six can stay. Start kicking people out of the church. All right, so David, verse 9, here we go. Oh. Huh. Are we done? After nine, eight verses? Oh, David set out. And the 600 men who were with him, they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. Wait, there were some that were left behind? Yeah, David pursued. He and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook at Besor. Oh, we just cut the forces in by a third. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake, some figs and two clusters of raisins. And what's that all about? They've covered the four food groups. <laughs> Something, I don't know. They want to make sure he's doing okay, right? And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. That's why they did it. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? 
He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my, my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. Now, does David know it was the Amalekites? Maybe, maybe not. We have yet to be told whether he knows that. Here's this uh, Egyptian servant. He's probably a slave. But our English translations don't like to use that word because the it's not culturally appropriate, they think, but let's be honest, he was a slave. He serves in the Malachi. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah. Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Whoops. If you're that Ethiopian, you probably don't want to be giving that information to David. But watch how David handles it. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. Does he blame the Ethiopian? No. He sees him as a resource. He feeds him. He takes care of him. He says, tell me who the real enemies are. Love that. Verse 16. Here we go. And when he had taken him down behold they were spread abroad over all the land eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the philistines and from the land of judah they caught a mid-party david struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day wow a smidge more than 24 hour killing spree and not a man of them escaped except for the 400 young men who manned on camels and fled. Camels a little faster. Can't catch them. So they're gone. They're out. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. David rescued his two wives. What's this next sentence? Nothing, Nothing was missing. What was the panic in David before when he showed up to Ziklag and he finds a place burned to the ground and nothing left and all the people gone greatly distressed everything's gone and it was a fear was it true how often do you fear things that are false you fear the potential of loss before it's yet to be revealed. It's a dangerous place to be. And we're going to define it at the end. First villain's going to land that plane. Okay? Uh, nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. We love the small words, don't we? All of it. David had also captured all the flocks and the herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, uh, this is David's spoil. Did he win? Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. Huh. You guys sat around while we get, did all the fighting, huh? How's that going to go? They went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Greeting them, is that a positive thing? Yeah, watch what he does here. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David. Wait, some of the four-handed army were wicked, worthless fellows? And they got to be part of the win? And they lived? Hmm. He said this, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may have his wife and children, and then they can leave and go their way never to return. That's really what that means. What's David do? He said, you shall not do so. Nope. Not on my watch. We just rescued everyone. My brothers, with what the Lord has given us, People come back, marching all the livestock in front of David. What do they say? Hey, this is David's spoil. But when David gets a turn to walk, 
and talk. Who's he give credit to? Heisman? Jesus. He gives it to God, right? Sorry, I'm going to use him mercilessly today because he's getting on a plane and going home and I don't want to call him during service in the future, so. He's the only person that calls me during the service. Know this? He tries to call me when I'm preaching to you guys on my phone. He'll even give me a warning before service. Make sure your phone's off. Ha, ha, ha. Right back. I hope the Niners lose. Click. No. Um, you shall not do so to my brothers for what the Lord has given, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the man that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? It's, it's not a real question. It's a Socratic, sarcastic question. He's saying, what are you talking about? No, one's, no one should do this. For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. <clears throat> Did it say that they stayed by the baggage? I thought it said they stayed by the river Besor or brook. All of a sudden, this baggage word, hmm, have we heard this baggage word before? Saul, he was hiding behind the baggage. What was David in charge of when, before he was king or anything when he was just a little brother? He was doing the sheep and the stuff, and he probably had to deal with the baggage. Has David been caring about the people who stayed with the baggage like Saul? And he knows he was one of them. So rather than judge him, let's train him. Rather than exclude them, let's include them. Let's give them a chance to progress the way we have progressed. Is he making space for us? Is he welcoming all to worship in casual ways that welcome? Right? Is he? Absolutely. Right? So everybody gets an equal share. They shall share alike. Are we supposed to share? Dang it, I guess my parents were right. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Yeah, I get a rule now. You have to share. I know that was improper English, okay? I did to make a point. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends the elders of Judah, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Is he making tithes back to Judah, to the Hebrews now, all of a sudden? He's maybe remembering his place. He's remembered his God for sure. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of Negev and Jatir and Aror of Sipmoth, Ashtamloka. Recall the cities of the Jeharamites, the cities of the Kenites in Hormah, Borshan, Athak, and Hebron. <sighs> Take a breath. How many places? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> right? All the places where David and his men had roamed. Is he sharing with more than just the guys who stayed at the brook? Ooh. Ooh. There's a concept here. Is David doing what's best for David? Is David doing what's best for David's men? Or is he doing more? There is a concept in Scripture, especially in the First Testament, where community outranks the individual. Now, I know that's a foreign concept based on the community we live in today. But community outranks the individual. Individual rights is not a thing for them. The community takes care of the individual, and the individual's priority is community. That's why he says, we're going to share with everybody, because now I remember who my community is. Who's part of your community? Everyone. Well, you're just sharing with the Hebrews. 
yeah, here's the problem. There was this guy came in the New Testament. What was his name, Mark? Jesus. He told a story about a Samaritan guy who came down and got uh, help for somebody who was from a different ethnicity and the whole thing. And next thing you know, um, Jesus says, uh, everybody's your neighbor. Man, we greatly paraphrased that story just now. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. All right, you know, uh, you know, you can recover. David goes back and, and finds everything's gone, and he, ha- he gets a chance to go recover. Is there another way to w- look at that? You can recover things. You can also yourself recover. You can get over it. You can heal. You can choose better default behaviors. You can stay connected to God. Amen? David is at risk of of losing everything. He's not in his own land. He's not with his king. He's not following. He's 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 doing all the knots. They forgot his identity. You, you ever find yourself in a bad spot where you're like, oh, you know, I forgot. Last time I did that, it went poorly, and I forgot, and I did it again. It went poorly again. I'm a little slow. Anybody? Someone wants to admit that one? Okay, all right. We don't do confessions with the priest. We don't do that. But we do have this little time where the pastor gives us some public confession. Yeah, I kind of do that too. I'm like David sometimes. Is that a fair way to say it? Anybody like David sometimes? David recovers. David recovers. Or maybe God recovers David. And David recovered all the stuff. How much? All? All? Yeah. Or as David said it, God recovered all the stuff. So, get out your outline. It says 1 Samuel chapter 30. You can recover. What's that really mean? This is a Sunday service extra. I want you to take your pen. I want you to cross out you. Oh, let him who wishes to come after me deny himself. Take off his cross and follow me daily, right? Cross out you. And what are we writing there? Heisman? There we go. Jesus can recover. For you, Jesus can recover you. You can get better. Are you destined for failure? You could be. That's a woman of wisdom right there and experience. You could be destined for failure. If you want to be destined for success. Win it all. David won it all, right? Do you have direct access to the man who has no questions? ability. All right, let's figure out how do we do that? How do you recover? David says in verse 20, hey, we're not doing this. What the Lord has given us, he preserved us and has given into our hand, right? How do we do this? How do we recover? How do we experience God's recovery in our life? One, you recognize this one. This one's going to hurt a little bit. This is the one I said we were going to land the plane on. Um, by the way, tech booth, I'm going to want that slide from the yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I want to have that for point number two, so we're working on the fly. We got two Sunday service extras this morning. There you go. Um, anger and action. Did we see anger in this story? Yes. Tons of it. Potential for it even greater, because David withholds. He also does fear. Put in your favorite emotion in that blank. If, I mean, some of you don't have anger issues. God bless you. And I can't relate to you. <laughs> if you have other emotions that you deal with, depression, fear, anxiety, whatever, loneliness, put it up there, under it or above it, whatever. Just, just leave anger for me, okay? I'm still learning. So, What are the reflections of? Oh, uh, had to be my dad. My dad did all this stuff. (laughs) No. Well, then it was definitely mom. It wasn't dad. No. It was that one teacher who gave me my first F. was responsible for all the other Fs I got. Or it was the boss who fired me the first time. 
He was responsible for all the other times I got fired. Nobody ever taught me to have a work ethic. That guy who was supposed to teach me to have a work ethic, yeah, it was his fault. It's a reflection of him. No, no. Call me times over. What are they reflections of? What are emotions and actions a reflection of? <gasps> what? That hurts. So mean of you to say that that's a reflection of me. Oh, when you said yourself, you meant yourself, not just me. Are those reflections of you? For sure. But let's pinpoint it. Let's land the plane on you. <laughs> Who'd I say has no question? If you're choosing your, ang your emotions and your actions, they're a reflection of your view of and we call our view of Jesus, we start it with F, faith. faith. It's a reflection of faith. When, you're, when you go strong, when you go strong emotions, it's a reflection of how do you view God? How much do you access Him? Do you inquire of Him? Do you know the ways that are most effective for you to do that? And then it, Taints, colors, directs, albeit hopefully controls your emotion. Wait, Scott, you're telling me emotions can be controlled? Absolutely. You get to choose your actions. David, in the midst of extreme emotion... And, and the, I think one of the most clear action plans sitting right in front of him. Instead, he inquires of the Lord. In fact, instead, before it says he inquires of the Lord, it says this other phrase. Do you remember what it was? I'll give you a hint. He made himself more like this. He strengthened himself in the Lord. What? I thought we went to God for answers because he, he doesn't have any questions, so he only has answers. Can I just talk? Can you just give me the answer? Whoa, watch this. Before he asks God and inquires, he, he strengthens himself in the Lord. What, is, there, is there a pattern there? Is that part of an equation? Say yes. It is. It's absolutely. Why? Because once you get the answers, it's time to act. If you're going to act, you need to be ready. You need to be strong. You need to be rejuvenated. You need whatever God needs you to need in order to do what you need. And yet, our problem is rather than get that backwards, we skip it entirely sometimes. We move on to shaking the hand and blowing on it and get some ice and maybe go down and get a cortisone shot. or I mean... Surgery and how about we talk to God? You guys remember a few weeks back, I was moaning and whining like a child about my hip. What was the confession that I made that after about two, three months of hip pain and bothering? What was the confession that I made? I hadn't prayed about it yet. Um, guess what I did. From that service, I started. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore. That's a silly example. And yet, absolutely true. And I, I wonder if he was getting me ready to teach this. Uh, would he do that to me? Well, of course, because he does it to you, right? Anger and action, emotions and action are reflection of faith. If you just took the two underlined words there, what would you have? Say it. Anger faith. Dude, let's start a band. Anger faith. I got a harmonica player. Um, uh, too easily, we just go to the fill-ins. We do anger faith. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at them. How can I, I hope the Lord gets revenge on them. Vengeance is the Lord. I hope he gets it quick. 
No. Strengthen yourself. Inquire the Lord. Move on. Don't do anger face. Amen? Okay. Number two. We call it, when stuff goes like this has been going on for David, pretty much the whole book, right? We're 30 chapters of, and he wasn't in the first few chapters, so don't write me an email. I'm like, this guy said 30 chapters. One's really 30 chapters, more like 20. Like, no. Most of the stuff that that happened to you, you call it wrong. We read the story about David and what's happening today. Oh, he took his wife, gave it to another. That's wrong. We call all these things wrong. In fact, last chapter, David it was in a perfect scenario to keep going and doing this thing, and he totally gets benched. He gets sidelined. He gets cast aside. He gets sent home. Hey, go back. Do nothing. And David says, what have I done in your sight? When have I ever done anything wrong? And the guy's like, yeah, sorry, they don't like you. And then uh, call it wrong, whatever. Bye. Go home. And we talked about last week, how do you deal with that? And how do you address it and the whole thing? What I need you to see this week is many times the things we call wrong, God calls it a plan. No, I got a plan. And there's no questions in my plan. It's going to be awesome. See, because I didn't want you fighting against my people. Did you forget that, David? Their name is my people. You're about to go kill my people. So, yeah, I had to bench you. You call it wrong. I had a plan to keep you out of that war. And by the way, your place was getting sacked. I thought it was a good time for you to go home. Good plan? You know, in the exit interview of this whole thing, when God and David talk, because apparently he answers David when David inquires of him, I bet you David says, you know, that was it's actually a really good plan. I like the way you orchestrated that. I like having my wives back, and the people didn't kill me because they didn't lose their family. Boy, I never saw that coming. When, when you see things, you only see them from your perspective. And they're the wrong two eyes. If you could see things from other people's perspectives, what does that do for you? It changes things. How many things? Lots of things. Right? You start seeing things by God's perspective. Um, by the way, there's more than two eyes then, right? not even sure he has eyes. He just sees, how many things does he see? All. Everything, right? All things, right? When you see things from his perspective, you start to understand the plan. Now, you're never going to understand all of it. You can't. But you understand more. Anybody like more? one of my favorite words unless somebody's taking it from me <laughs> they took some and then they took more i'd always thought more was a great word till i figured out that wait there's another side to more right we call it wrong god calls it a plan how's that work you sang it today i had an epiphany i was sitting right there i thought we're going to need to look at the slide for this song again this is your third Sunday service extra. You sang, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. What are you singing? No, 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 don't. Uh, comedians, all right. Now you're preaching next week. No, uh, what's, what's the intent of what's being said? What are you, what are you doing with God? You're listening you're agreeing. Um, you're complying. You're cooperating. And I was looking at this as we were singing it, thinking about what we're about to talk about, and wondering, do we get the idea that when we say yes to God, what does he end up saying to us? He says yes back. And then I was thinking, well, if I say yes to God four times, 
then sing it again, that makes eight times. Is that the equation? Like if I say yes to God in eight things, eight areas, will he say yes back to me in eight areas on eight things? I mean, this is better than investment. I mean, imagine getting 100% return always, instantly. Wow, let's do that. Amen? <laughs> then, then I was, well, it doesn't really work that way. Does God say yes to us the same amount of times as we say yes to him? Can you show me chapter and verse? Say no. There's no equation like that. But there's an equation similar. When we say yes to God, does it tell us how many times he'll say yes to us? Does that bother you? Or do you like it? I mean, I'd like the one-to-one -one ratio. What if, though, it was the equation that you say yes to God and he starts saying yes to you? And instead of worrying about the ratio, enjoy the experience and see how it plays out. Then I had another mind explosion. Again, right here. What if I say yes to him once and then he <laughs> and then he says yes to me three times? Wait, what if it was exponential? I mean, I really don't want to say yes to him eight times. And then he says, okay, I'll give you the token one yes. Eight to one. By the way, that's a good ratio for shooting in soccer or basketball. Take seven, eight shots. He's going to make one, maybe, eventually. I want a better ratio than sports with God. What if I told him yes once, and he says, oh, I finally got somebody listening. Hey, Peter, John, Toby. There's a guy up there named Toby. Uh, get... Get a bunch of yeses. In fact, load up the truck. We're going to back it up. We're going to dump them on Berglund. It's going to be awesome. Get the popcorn. It's going to be a great show. Can you disprove that one? Chapter and verse. Say no. We got to be careful about when we think it's wrong. Because when we think it's wrong... What do we do? All that kind of stuff, right? We think it's wrong. If we think, wait, there's a plan behind this for sure because he always has a plan and he has no questions. He's in the yes business and it could be exponential. Rather than sitting on the wrong concept, why don't I look for, is this phrase, and I know we're very um, unaccustomed to this, it's called optimism, positivity, and the assurance of things yet seen. Ooh, that's from a verse. What's it defining? The assurance of things yet seen. Faith. Bam. All of a sudden, I mean, anybody want him to back up a truck and drop yeses on you? I can't even see Fred no more. All I see is yeses all over him. <laughs> Lastly, um, David does a great job of, I think, what God is trying to teach him and teach us, and that is that we need to find value in all. We need to find value in all. There's lots of differences, lots of things. Potential complaint items. Fill out a communication slip. Uh, fill out a, a problem tag or whatever. I mean, there's, we can call the number on the little advertisement and complain about the driver. There's so many things that you could do. Or you can just start seeing value in all. You know what happens when you start seeing value in all? You start talking to the waitress and treat her like a person. And then she brings you something free. What? Really? Yeah. Start being nice to people. David decides to be nice to the guys who sit by the river. 
Well, you guys were on vacation. It's all saving your family. You're working on your tan. What? When they come back with all the family, what happened in the hearts and the minds of those 200 who stayed back? Did it change? For the better? We can never know the extent of the change. We can know that change happens and that change can be positive. What happened to all these cities who knew nothing about any of this? They're all back in Judah and they're just kind of doing their thing, Hebrews. Uh, they understand there's a war coming and, uh, and all of a sudden these gifts start arriving. Whoa, David's still around? I thought he was over with the Philistines now. I mean, he's not going to fight with the Philistines against us. We might have a chance. And forget that right now. Let's go have a party. We got all this spoils, right? Which is a weird name for reward. Spoils? Sounds like a bad. Anyway, um, where, where can you find value? I'm telling you, he's preaching at some point. You can find value in all things. Well, they just yelled at me and cussed at me and ran off and the whole thing. Where's the value in that? They left. You know their true heart. And you know how to protect yourself. Don't be around them anymore. But you get to choose your default behaviors and really what we, what we see in David is God can recover. Which is a little bit um, snarky way of saying it. Did he really recover or was that the plan all along? If it was the plan all along and there are no questions and there are no misery, uh, mystery, then it was just the plan. There is no recovery. There's just the fruition of the path I had you on. You mean he planned for me to have this hardship, that hard, the so-and-so did something, and da-da-da? Yeah. Why? Why did he plan that? I say it louder. To teach us. You needed something in that experience? Well, it was not a good experience. You need to tell me what I needed in that experience. Oh, yeah, no. no. I'm not telling you anything. But I can tell you this. God does things for a reason. He has a plan. There's no mystery in it. He's going to get what he wants, when he wants, with whoever he wants, as fast as he wants, as little as he wants, whenever he wants, in all things. Figure out how you can be part of the recovery, part of the experience, part of the plan, and go with it. You think you're getting sidelines? He's taking you home because you're going to go save and rescue and fix something that you didn't even know was going on. How many things are you free of knowing about? Well, that was a really weird way to say that. How much stuff do you not know? Of all the things to know, sorry, I'm really going to stay. Of all the things to know, between the left hand, this is my left, okay, you're right, I get it. From this hand to this hand, that's everything there is to know. How much of that do you know? I can't pinch the fingers close enough together, Scott. Where does God deal? Between both hands. He's in charge of all of it. Uh, we got to stop worrying about what we think is wrong or who this or what's the future? What if they get elected? Blah, blah, blah. No. If you have to have a question still, okay, we're Rock Bible Church, we're here for you. Here's your two questions. These are the only two questions that really, really matter, okay? What condition is your relationship with the Lord? Okay? That's, that's by far the number one. Okay? Relationship with, with who, Heisman? There you go. And the second one, ready? And this, is, this one, you might laugh, you might not laugh. It's not funny. 
It's actual. Second question. What's for lunch? Thank you, James. Why is that the second question? Nothing else important is more is in, is important after the first question. So if nothing else is, matters and there's no mystery and he has no questions and he's in control of all things, let's move on to what's for lunch. That sounds goofy and yet it's deep theology. Okay, it's a freebie. That's four Sunday service extras you got today. Okay, I had to bring them back because Heitzman's, he's in a deficit for Sunday service extras. <laughs> so I had to use a bunch today. All right. Um, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, the first question is the most important one. We see that David got in trouble when his relationship with the Lord was almost non-existent. And when he inquired of the Lord, when he strengthened himself in the Lord, guess what? You can do that. There's a lot of ways that we say it. Be born again. Accept Jesus into your heart. Pray the prayer of salvation. Say it however you want. But if you give lordship to him and call him savior that's that's what he wants it's your initial yes so he can start dumping yeses on you and that's what he's asking for um, how much does it cost free that's why we never ask for money here amen what are the prerequisites what do you have to do ahead of time before you ask christ into your heart You might have to be breathing. It's about it. Can you got to give up everything? Can can John do it for me? There's pretty much no prerequisites. It's free, but it is a commitment. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to cross myself out, and he's going to be in the title now. If you want to say that, if you want to do that, pray that with me. All right. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, for those that need to say that, Lord, that from now on, your son, Jesus Christ, is now my Lord and Savior. Give them the confidence, the ability to say that. We ask your spirit, free them up to say that. And then, Lord, release us of the concept of prerequisites or any things that might get in the way. How much we know or what our past looks like. And help us to start walking with you. I, I love, Lord, and may we learn what David did. He just tried to strengthen himself in you, and then he started talking to you, and that's where we can all start. We thank you, Lord, that more than the God of recovery, you're the God of plan. May you reinforce that for each of us. We thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it to your use, your work, not ours, not mine, and that no one would feel obligated, but that this is something we do between God and, our, and ourselves. We pray that all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. May you see the yeses in his plan. Plural. Amen. Go with him.